Well, good morning. Glad to be with you, beloved. <laughs> it's amazing uh, different experiences I have when I feel God's presence in worship. Uh, you think about that. Uh, what, when you are experiencing God with you, what are some responses in your body? Just you know, the presence of God touches your body. Calmness. Peace. Joy. Joy. Tears. tears. I was hoping for that one. <laughs> Just feeling some tears, even Brian starting to give an introduction to the opening hymn. Of course, it's a favorite, too. Morning is broken. But I got a pretty kind of a lot of stuff there to hand out to you today, so I want to start with a joke to lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> so... <laughs> So you won't feel quite so heavy. So this is a joke about a bank in Lake Wobegon. I don't know if you're familiar. How many know Garrison Keeler? Quite a few of you. So he talked about Lake Wobegon, which is in northern Minnesota and has a lot of Scandinavians. So a bank robber, a hooded bank robber, bursts into a bank there in Lake Wobegon, goes right up to the teller and pulls out his bag and says, put all your cash in here. And... And just as he did that, a woman, a very brave woman from Lake Wobegon, starts toward the exit and pulls off his hood so she could see right into his face, and he shot her. And then he turns around and goes to the teller and realizes he's seeing his face too, so he shoots him. I don't want so that's kind of serious, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, you know, everybody is, everybody's got their head down and silence and fear. They're looking at him. And so <laughs> he asks a question. And Ole, by the way, Ole and Sven are in the bank. So I forgot to mention that. So <laughs> he asks a question. Is any, did anyone else see my face? <laughs> Ole raises his hand. And he says, I think my good friend Sven might got a good look at you. <laughs> How'd you like to have Ole for a friend? So <laughs> um, I want to lower this a little bit. Can you do that? Yeah, there you go. Um, so I'm going to teach on attachment love this morning. Some of it's uh, some review. Uh, I've noticed when I've gone over my sermons, I've taught on, on uh, Hesed love quite a bit. So I think it will be review. I think you've probably got that memorized as a Hebrew word that means attachment. And I, I was on Facebook this week and was really touched by an expression of attachment love. Um, a young man I know, I've known quite well, he's a young pastor's son. Parents are missionaries in Africa. And uh, I, they're aware of this struggle that he's been going through. But he writes on Facebook, I'm gay. And... Uh, his parents, of course, and I and others have been walking with him through this journey, and and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, in Tanzania, homosexuality is illegal, so as missionaries, they really have to be careful whether they can, you know, say anything. Actually, they decided to have a private Facebook post. Um, she, the mother, responded graciously. Um, showing a picture of hugging her son. And um, 
But one person I know from being with his church in Living Water in Sacramento area, he said, um, I love you, Matt, always will. And that, to me, was an expression of attachment love, hesed love, right? Always will. I don't know if you've ever heard, had someone say that to you. I think it's others that always will is in some ways familiar, but boy, man, that was somehow just saying it in two words, really uh, looking at and thinking about this morning, that really is what attachment, love, it always will love. And no matter what happens, and when we have hesed love, it sticks, it's glued to us, it's bonded to us, it's a love that bonds, and, uh, and we'll never stop. Just it's impossible, Paul writes in Romans, to separate us from this love. Can neither height nor depth nor things above nor things below, nor angels nor powers nor principalities, things to come, can separate us from the love of God. And a description of this kind of love, and I, I really like um, the way that attachment love is described in Psalm 23. I mean, I don't know if you remember that old Maranatha song, "Surely goodness and mercy shall for anybody." It's, uh, to follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. That mercy in Hebrew is hesed. And it's kind of like a puppy dog nipping at our heels. It's coming, it's pursuing us wherever we go. And so that's this pic another picture of this kind of love God has for us, attaches to us. And it's the kind of love that God's created us to experience even in the way he created our brain. And I'll be talking about that some. And here's something that I'm learning is that attachment love has a lot more to do with my identity and character than what I believe and, and, uh, and truth. And that's illustrated, if you think about it, when Peter denied Jesus. And uh, he, he meets Jesus, as you remember, on that breakfast along the Sea of Galilee and, and serves him breakfast, but then he asks the first question, he's never talked to him about his denial. Never, actually, he didn't even bring it up in the conversation. <clears throat> he didn't ask Peter, do you still believe in me? Or do you still know what the truth is about me? What did he ask him? Do you love me? And so that was a part of that attachment love that Jesus was expressing, giving Pat, Peter to say, <laughs> and to say, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a lover. That's my identity. I'm one who loves. And I, the first thing I talk about in your <clears throat> outline here, which is what I'm giving 12 elements or characteristics of this kind of attachment love that we can have for another. And how can we grow in this? Now, there are more than these 12. Uh, Peter, Jim Wilder has helped me to uh, explain this in his teaching. Actually, he got it from Alan Shore, who is called the, he's the Einstein of psychiatry and brain science from UCLA. And they've studied, as you know, they've studied the brain now. They have live, live brains because of brain scans. And they can find in the brain, this part of the brain back here is the attachment center. And so, and one, the first thing that we experience and the way we experience attachment love is from the one who feeds us. That would be mom, right? And the baby gets attached through being fed. And so God, interesting the way that God has designed that we get to know attachment love 
through him feeding us. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the, he's the water that satisfies our thirst. I think I've asked about, think about all the food stories that are in the Bible. Remember that? I've asked that before. I think I did. We talked about 5,000, feeding the 5,000. Of course, today we have an attachment meal, the Lord's Supper, where the experience is meant to attach us, not to the, I mean, the bread and the wine, our food that attaches to Jesus, and we experience his love. And if you look at your notes, I mentioned that one of the best illustrations of attachment through food it would be a police dog. If the police dog changes uh, the one who's going to be taking him around, all he has to do is the, guy, the policeman starts feeding the dog, and the, the dog will be attached to the feeder. And um, so we get attached to the feeder. That's what God has designed when he, create, you know, he created food. And it's the, this illustrated right away in the Genesis. Right away we have a food story about a tree, right? With that, and it has some fruit on it, or food on it. And, um, and Adam and Eve are there, and God said, you know, got this. I'm going to take care of you. I've got this garden. It's full of, full of fruit trees, or full of trees, but there's one that, that uh, you're not to, to take from. And the, the idea of that is that it's kind of like, you know, this is a way of saying, I want you for my, to be my feeder. And Satan comes along and said, I got some better food for you. And, uh, and they tempted them, and he kind of gets them thinking about, you know, God, he really, you know, he's really not going to, he's not the best one to take care of you. And so they get attached to Satan through eating the food that he provides. It, here, and it is one of the realities of this point three and one, this third bullet, if one who feeds me is not connected to me, is distracted, not paying attention to me, I become attached to the food rather than the one who feeds me. I've thought about this because I've seen statistics of how many of us, how many of you eat your meal while you're watching TV? I mean, I raise my hand. <laughs> and you see mothers doing this now, you know, you got the, you know, whatever the phone out while they're feeding the baby, and so. But the tension is that we get attached to our mothers, the feed, and then as a, who feeds us and attached to all that love. And uh, and if we don't have a secure attachment, then that pain, the attachment pain, is so it's the worst of all pains that we need something to give us the dopamine, the the, the actually there's joy that comes. Uh, when we experience attachment, it's a healthy joy, but then there's a false joy if we go for other things to substitute for the, uh, the attachment love. Uh, and, if, and if you want to, I'm talking about attachment pain, but if you want to uh, get a good illustration of attachment pain, just listen to country western music. <laughs> <laughs> And you want to confess now? Do you like country western? Yeah. <laughs> I got a joke about country western music. <laughs> so the guy was, you know, he said, oh, man, I just, things have really gone bad for me. My wife left me. I lost my job. And now I got knee problems. <laughs> and then he says, it's a good thing. I've been listening to country western music. It prepared me for all this. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
Here we go. I'm, I'm a little ahead of the notes. So God's people have meals together to attach to one another. And we have actually men. This is a real interesting. We Men get attached to, to if you, you've served them liquid. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. And women are more experienced attachment uh, through conversation. And actually, for men, this is going to maybe help you understand, women understand men, is that conversation, too much conversation releases cortisol in the brain, which eats up brain, you know, pathways. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably not in the Bible, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think, guys, you know, let's go have a beer or have coffee. Yeah, liquid is the way we get attached to each other. So number two. Oh, yeah, oh, oh a couple more things in that. I want to encourage you to experiment with this uh, table prayer. And my guess is uh, that you have, if you grew up Catholic, you prayed this for grace. Bless us. You want to pray it with me? Bless us, and lo, Lord, and these thy gifts which we have received from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. There's quite a few Catholics here, Sean. <laughs> but isn't that, that's a table prayer that recognizes that God is the feeder from which we have received thy bounty. And then I, and then I did give you in your notes, uh, the last page, an experiment you could use in your, uh, while you're eating, uh, a nine-minute meal exercise, just for fun, to, to kind of recognize that you want, you want to thank God for the food because he's the giver. What we're wanting to do is to just affirm that God is the feeder, that he's the one that feeds us. Um, and so we start thanking God for everything we taste on your plate, mentioning what you like about the food. So about a week ago, I experimented having pepperoni pizza and having a side dish of watermelon, and it worked really well. So I'm thanking God for watermelon and pepperoni pizza. So you can even thank God for each thing on the table, that, and specifically as, as a way of recognizing God, you are the one that gives me, we're thanking God for it. You're the one who provides it, this food. Tell a short story of a moment you might have sensed God's smile. That's just a highlight of the week. And, um, and then three, smile at each other person sharing with you and bless them with the thing that comes to your mind that God likes about them. What do you think God likes about the person you're eating? It's probably the same thing you do. So it's just a fun exercise. You can have that at your table if you want to do some time. Okay, then number two, and I'm, I'm going to be really skipping over the last one, so you're getting to wondering how I'm going to do 12. Don't worry, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, we form unique attachments with substitutions. Identity starts in the brainstem. I talked about it back here in the thalamus. It's a center through attachments that are nearly impossible to break or change. Consider how hard it would be to convince you someone else was your mother. Wouldn't work, right? Now, we are second chance moms to each other. And Christine is a second chance mom, but... No one can, so consider it, and then I, then, I, then I write, our identity is very hard to change, period, should be. In the human brain, 
Our identity and character are formed by who we love and still present after quite a bit of beer. <laughs> Wanted to see if you're listening. Notice and celebrate the uniqueness of each person. The brain makes exclusive attachments. Attachments are unique. We do not mistake this one for someone else. In the airport, when someone greets you, someone you Someone I know, the one I'm looking for is exclusive. There could be a thousand people in the airport. I'm looking for one exclusive person, the one I know. Attachments are unique. We do not mistake this one for someone else. In the airport, when someone greets me, someone I know, the one I'm looking for, that's exclusive to you, the one it's a, I'm attached to. Children don't like to be called by their brothers, sisters, or dog's name, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, le the level one of our brain is the attachment center. This place in our brain is like a parking garage. You see that I have that illustration over there. It assigns spaces to those that share our hearts. Once someone gets their name painted in a pot spot, no one can ever take their spot. Mom, dad, spouse, best friend. When they stop parking there, our brain... Experiences attachment pain, which drives us to seek relief. Now, this can happen when someone has died, or it can happen through a divorce. Someone who who you've been attached to, there's been uh, married and, and go through divorce. It can happen right, not even through, not necessarily through the death of a person. But I was with a client yesterday. And she doesn't feel like she belongs. That's attachment pain. And she feels lonely. And so some of this teaching really helps, I think, to understand grief. And we've, you've learned some things about grief, but attachment pain is a new way of understanding it. The attachment pain is the worst pain of all. It's deep, so deep, that we cannot consciously control it. We can only recognize it indirectly when we learn to notice its symptoms. Unfortunately, there's no true relief. No one can fill this a spot except for Jesus. <laughs> the brain has no mechanism for resolving attachment pain. Just, it just has it. It's there. There isn't a recovery system in place for this, but God did equip us with an experiential workaround. God can help us see that the things we love about the person we miss are actually found in Jesus. Now, I don't... I don't think it really works to say when if you lost a husband you know a spouse that Jesus will be your husband nah I want my husband if you've lost your husband but Jesus will provide some of those things that you experienced through your husband or the spouse that you that died Jesus is truly the only person who can slide into any park sparking space parking space after interacting with Jesus about the pain the attachment center says okay Jesus, you can park there. That's from Ed Curry, book, Becoming a Face of Grace. When we are missing someone, we are missing what they would love, care about, act, or do, and how they would respond to the world. When we act like and express what they would do or feel, whatever is good about them lives through us. Now, that's one way you can deal with grief, is that we, what are the things that you remember about that person that were so special to you? And some of those things we can live out in our life. And it's, it's kind of like their presence is still with us because that's how we, uh, what we're doing, like our mom would do, 
or dad would do. This may help me feel I haven't lost as much as we, we haven't lost as much as we thought we had. And again, here is this, sub, this exclusive attachment. God says, you're the only one will do if I'm looking for you. And that would be true about someone you're missing in your life. God wants me. The only one God looks for is me, if he's looking for me. <laughs> God expects our attachment to be unique, to, our attachments to God to be unique, to God, that we allow no substitutions. This is my definition of an idol. Anything I run to to save me other than Jesus. And so, I, I, uh, another, that's idolatry. I'm, I'm looking to someone else to be my savior. And we can do that by getting attached to things like behaviors and experiences and substances. And that is, that's idolatry. God says, no, I'm the only one that can save you. We recognize our God among a thousand gods. We neither receive nor believe any other being is our God. God does not allow any other gods for his people. And this is illustrated by Jesus. When he says, I'm the shepherd, and the sheep, they follow my voice. It's, very, it's, it's just so true today. Still, if you're a shepherd, those sheep won't follow the voice of a stranger. You can yell for them to come, and they won't listen. But if, you, if someone else does... Jesus teaches, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. With Jesus together, we hear the Father's voice. Sounds like Dad. Sounds like my Father's voice. That's the one I listen to. Sounds like the shepherd's voice. And we as sheep never follow the voice of a stranger. Right? That's what Jesus taught. Three, attachment love sees someone as special. Exclusive, like this love attachment is exclusive, but that's not good enough. If you're not special to me and are mine in a special way, you're mine and you're special. I want, to sh I want you and I share together life with you. We experience grace when we see God sees us as special, not because of anything we do to earn it. We have, don't have to work for it. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We are God's favorite, special not. Talking about Judy this yesterday morning, and she wanted to be here this morning. She was kind of looking forward to it, and then I decided to go see the Dodgers play <laughs> this afternoon since I got a free ticket. So I'm not going back home, but she for, she forgave me. So um, <laughs> what what she said when talking about favorite somehow when she thinks about the word favorite, it's like if you're a favorite, then others can't be a favorite. So that word may not be the best word to understand the favor. She said, says a better word for it would be highly favored. I'm highly favored. And grace is being highly favored. That's what the angel said to Mary. Mary, you are highly favored among all women. Um, Separate from unique. Let's see. When we see ourselves and others as special, we receive and extend grace. I just said that. Specialness is separate from unique. Letting someone know they're really special to us is different from you are different. Special is, I really like you. So we have Genesis 6, 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, I remember that. God's saying, when I saw Noah, I saw someone special. God says, when I see you, Tom, I see someone special or whoever it might be. 
God sees everyone as someone special. He keeps finding specialness in you and me. So I think I may have had you do this before. Think about a face of grace in your life. If grace is an extension of someone feeling that we're special, close your eyes for a minute. Find someone who's a face of grace for you. It might, it might be the first person in your life who was the face of grace. And what feelings do you have when you focus on that and remember that face of grace? Then I would like you to turn to one or two people and share who that face of grace is for you. Did you do that? Just just give the name. <laughs> what do you got, Brett? <laughs> you're mute. You're, you're muted. Right? Okay. Did you know Pastor Frank Wilcox at LBIC? Yeah, yeah. That's who I think of every time. Oh. As I get a big smile. You saw me smiling right there. Actually, right. you're the face of grace, oh. too. But when I was going to school there, yeah. there were things that were going on <laughs> that shouldn't have been going yeah. on. I want to elaborate on that. <laughs> Motorcycles up and down that's, the hallways. That's a great story, about. yeah. And, and I was... Student body vice president the first year. I was student body president the second year, and I have to meet him in the office after evenings where I you know, just sat, didn't get enough sleep, and I knew that he knew, but he ne- he never said it. But you wow. knew. <laughs> he, he knew that. Thank you. Oh, he was a wonderful guy. Yeah, I do, or did. So, uh, how about a, a few of you uh, just say out loud your face of grace? Grandma? Anybody else to grandma? Sean? Yeah. Back, way in the back? Sean, okay. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Christine. Your spouse, maybe? 
I thought, <laughs> you know what Brett does when he looks, when he looks for a face of grace? He just looks in a mirror. <laughs> I just thought of that now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number four. Thank you for doing that. You could go do do some homework. We just look for faces of grace this week, people who provide that. Number four, we build joy when someone who's delighted to be with us. This is a review, but I've got a few new notes here. Just interacting with you lights up my face. We smile. My God delights in us. I, that's still not something that's easy for me to believe that Jesus or God delight in me. But I do believe it when you say, I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> so there are ways that when people express they're glad to be with me, that's when I feel God's delight in me. Jesus wanted to teach his disciples so his joy would be in them and their joy would be the biggest possible joy. That's what Gary read from John 15. I'm giving you this teaching so you could have the biggest joy you could ever have. Be glad to be together and they wouldn't have an attachment love like his. He combines that having the biggest joy by, if you love me, you will be keeping my commandments. And notice that's the, the order there. It's really, if you love me, if you keep on loving me, you'll be obeying my commandments. So the focus is on not, I got to go out there and obey Jesus, but I got to, I start by loving Jesus. Keep loving him. Then I, I live in obedience. And the obedience would be to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Joy is relational. We're happy to see each other. We rejoice. We're together. It's a celebration of attachment and love. The Lord's joy is our strength. It lets, helps us suffer when we must suffer. Some of you have gone through some pretty deep suffering this year. Jesus is there, and he's glad to be with us. When we share joy, we become attached. We smile. Without attachment, we won't have joy. We need that attachment love. That's someone glad to be with us. We build relational joy when our, we let our face light up, when we see those we love. If our face does not light up that much, we share our face with Jesus and let his look be on our face. I'm going to have an exercise for you during our prayer at the end here. Attachment love provides both joy and rest or peace. And so this is so important that we have friends really encouraging us, you need to take a break. Go on a cruise to Norway. <laughs> <laughs> that would give me some rest. And you can rest together. And, and that's Jesus' invitation. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, on you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and therefore you'll find rest for your souls. We create rest together. We trust that those who see that we need a break and share that break with us. This is kind of an interesting thought about being bored by showing a lot of people when they see someone yawn, or maybe you, when I have, when they say a person yawning, what, what would you think they're feeling? Bored. They must be bored if they're yawning. Actually, yawning is a sign that your parasympathetic nervous system is relaxing. And you're getting, there's a relief of, and feeling of rest. The sympathetic system is high joy, and the 
parasympathetic is peace and rest. So boring is not necessarily associated with yawning. Interesting. I'm not only glad to be with you, I can rest when you are around and do nothing. You learned that one? To, oh, we don't have to talk. We can rest just by being with one another. Um, okay. We, number five, we develop a mutual mind. Think the same way with one another, with Jesus. I've taught on this one called uh, Thought Rhyming with God. And based on Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace you are saved through faith. By grace, by grace, that God saw as you something special. That's what grace is. And we're saved through believing that we receive being special and loved by him. Not our own doing, it's a gift from God. And we're God's workmanship. The word poema, we talked about poetry, which means our thoughts rhyme with God's thoughts. And this is a new way of understanding Isaiah 118. Come let us, come let us reason together. You know that one, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I think that's a verse that I somehow I've memorized. But the word for reason together could be, come, let's have a mutual mind. So your thoughts, God's thoughts and my thoughts, we're not even sure. Now, is this God or is it me? We're thinking God's thoughts. Number seven, we grow stronger attachments, but love by closeness and distance. It's interesting, as we think about teaching our children to ride a bike, remember that? First they had the training wheels, then they get on that bike, and you're running behind them, holding on. And then finally you let go, and there they go. Maybe not too far, but it's just, you know, we need this sense of closeness, holding on, and distance, letting go. And that's what Jesus did when he, when he said, think about this. If your heart, don't let your hearts be troubled or be afraid. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that where I am, you may be also. So now we are, we are not ha having Jesus right here with us. But if we had Jesus in the room today, I think it would be pretty tempting to, okay, to want to do exactly what he's doing, to follow him. But leaving us gives us this opportunity for us to listen to the Holy Spirit who's like another one just like Jesus but we learn to live and, and act like we Jesus we would have Jesus would act if he was here with us so he calls his disciples to be with him and then he sends them out he would meet with them and then he would go to the mountain and then he would catch up with them when they're out on the lake in, in the boat on trouble and so he spent time on earth with us, and then he went to prepare a place for us where we cannot go. Now we act the way Jesus would act if he was here with us. And that would be another way to deal with grief. You know, I'm missing this person in my life. How would I act in a way that this person, the gifts they gave me? Now we can become attached to somebody that's harmful, toxic. That's what happens in a cult. And that's another attachment. It's hard to, hard to um, get free. But it's like a bad attachment. But it's the same kind of thing of being glued to someone. And so we have people in our life who, who may, may have trouble separating from because we are attached to them. And another way of understanding attachment love is to think about who is the first person that you gave your heart to? 
Remember that? You fell in, man, you think I really like this one. Maybe it's a person you got married to, but a lot of people, I say, who was the first person that you fell in love with? Anybody remember? You can know her name, or his name, or your wife. <laughs> That's the best. But there's a bonding there. Because that you didn't, when you do that for the first time, it's like, ah, you got a parking space in my heart. I want to be with you. And so that bonding of that first love, first person we gave our heart to, that needs a grieving process. It's in order to get around and move beyond and move into uh, realizing that I'm going to be okay if that person's not with me, the different things I can do to process that attachment pain. But the first thing to do is to recognize what it is and name it and how big it is. That helps. And I don't know it's attachment pain until it's there. I called up a pastor friend we moved to Idaho and, and uh, recently. And actually, I've been an interim pastor for him in Torrance. And uh, finishing up now in September. So I've been preaching every Sunday. But actually, I practiced this sermon last week, <laughs> I confess, <laughs> in, in Torrance. So, but I called him, and we had a great conversation. And I hung up. And then about as I said goodbye, and I felt sad. And I didn't. Boom, it was there. I didn't say, okay, now I'm consciously going to feel sad. No, it's there. It's there because there was an attachment of love and being loved and giving love. And so it can be as simple as that. Okay, we're going to stop here. We've got more here. Eight, we grow stronger of attachment love by unpleasant and unpleasant times. Strong bonds of love help people build stable and accurate self. Provides both should not be the word both there. It's attachment love number 10 provides freedom to fail without loss of relationship. Be encouraged if you feel like you're bumbling in prayer. You know, um, you remember the first time you prayed out loud? We used to teach in the Alpha Course, and, and people never prayed out loud. And they would teach us when we're leading a small group, now you be the first one to pray. We're going to pray out loud. Join hands, and I'll be, when I'm done, I'll squeeze yours. And you can squeeze the next person's hand if you don't want to pray out loud. But here was the way we did it. We, <laughs> the, the leader, we're going to pray a simple prayer of something like, thank God for the weather. <laughs> and the next person, well, I can do better than that. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so it kind of gives permission to feel like we're just starting, starting to walk when we pray out loud. And then we stretch our limits, and we have this identity that we learn through attachment love. These are my people. 1, 1 Peter 2.10. Peter writes, once you were not a people at all, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, and you are God's people. And so we are people who have received mercy. And that identity is so strong of the people that, that we belong to. And these are my people. Now we can actually love enemies and they become our people. That's fun. Well, not really. <laughs> so, okay, let's pray. So, 
kind of a fun experiment. Would you uh, spend a minute here focusing on Jesus' face? That would be a face of grace. Just imagine what Jesus' face looks like. And then would you, you'd have that expression, maybe a smile, but you thank Jesus for his face of grace. And this may be a little stretch, but I would like you to put on Jesus' face of grace on your face and turn to the person next to you and show them what that looks like. Open your eyes and show them a face of grace of Jesus. <laughs> it's pretty much a smile, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 